Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep The Horde of the Ghibelins by Lord Dunsany. First published in The Sketch, January 25th, 1911. I've read this story a few times. It's uh, a fun one. I, I, I like everything that Dunsany does with it. I'm not sure why he did it. And hopefully you can help me figure out why he did it this way and what it all means. I'm... I love the fact that you say that it's fun. Um, It's a, it's a story. I will remind you that seems like it's sort of a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a, a fellow on a quest, but his quest is to get incredible wealth. He actually winds up trying to get uh, emeralds, um, that are kept by a, a group that is not exactly human, um, and we come to realize eats human beings. Uh, and he's very clever. I mean, everybody who's tried to get at, at their stuff before has failed, but this guy comes up with some other ideas. He tames a dragon so that he can fly over a particular uh, obstacle to his success. Um, and then at the end, he, in fact, gets caught by the Ghibellines and is hung on the outer wall of their castle. Um, put that way, I don't know that I would call it fun. Ah. Uh, however, uh, I noticed that a lot of what's going on in the story, excuse me, a lot of what is said in the story is structurally ambiguous. That is, it, it, it technically can be taken in more than one way, as can the lead-up incidents in a joke, right? Oh, that's mm-hmm. what you really meant. Um, and sometimes can even be said in more than one way. And a lot of what's going on here resonates with all sorts of literary and cultural um, Elements that many of us have come to know since we were young. So Dunsany taking a a new look at these things, sort of suggesting, well, you know, there's more than one way to look. Um, That's sort of amusing. At least it's intellectually uh, titillating. Uh, But the overall theme of the story, uh, I would not call fun. But I'll leave that to to see whether or not what I just said makes some sense, and, or should I exemplify, or, or do you want to talk about what you mean by fun, Jesse? Well, yeah, I, I, think, you're, I think you're right. Oh, oh, oh. The, he's very playful with his language. Um, he uses a lot of double negatives, um, makes some, some very humorous jokes um, at the expense of, I don't know, humanity as a whole. Um, and... He's 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 it's 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 kind of a rough sketch. I mean, it was published in a magazine called the uh, the sketch. Um, oh. He's a knight of a place called the city. Um, you know, he's um, he, there's references to Homer, um, but I don't know that Homer actually said that. Although, you know, like everything's very roughly sketched, and yet it's all very familiar. 
It's very um, Northern European mythology, sort of. Um, but just right from the first, um, the first sentence, uh, it's terrific. The Ghibellines eat, as is well known, nothing less good than man. It doesn't say the Ghibellines eat men. It says the Ghibellines eat, as is well known, nothing less good than man. Um, I didn't know that the Ghibellines ate men because I'd never heard of them before. Um, if you look up the etymology, it's pretty obtuse. Uh, there might be some connection to a sort of um, northern Italian a war between two households, the Ghibellines and the another group starting with G's. And I don't think that that's it exactly. Because one of my students, when we read this story, he he just said they were they were goblins. And I thought that that was terrific, because they are goblins, but it doesn't say anywhere in the story that they're goblins. But that's exactly what they are. And it seems that every culture in the world has goblins or something very close to them. So this is goblins, and it's got a dragon, and it's got, you know... A, a hoard of gold and ju ju jewels, and it's it's got everything, but it, it inverts everything in a certain sense at the end of the story. It's terrific. I love it. <laughs> I uh, I love that first sentence too. I, I I think that the idea that the G I B B E L I N S could be pronounced as you did as Ghibellines. Um, I, I frankly, I mean, I, I didn't have to look up the Guelphs and the Ghibellines. I, I learned about that when I took world history. Um, the Guelphs and the Ghibellines are two factions. Uh, the, the Guelphs were the those in Italian city states um, in the 12th, 13th and 14th centuries, I guess, uh, who supported the pope who at that point was also a secular ruler, whereas the Ghibellines supported a more mercantile uh, authority and in general were allied with uh, Germanic tribes further north. Um, but if we see this, it's, it's the Ghibellines are the worldly ones. Mm -hmm. theory you see and here the Ghibellins uh, are the ones who have a hoard of presumably have a hoard of gold and emeralds and diamonds and all kinds of stuff so the reference to the Ghibellines of the Guelphs and the Ghibellines I think is res reasonable I think that your students notion that a Ghibellin might be a little goblin is also reasonable mm-hmm I also think that since it turns out that these creatures who come from the moon, we're told, mm -hmm. um, eat human beings, the Giblins do a lot of goblin, yeah. uh, as well as being goblin. But there is also the fact that they are, I mean, the, the Ghibellines in Italian history are spelled G-H-I-B, etc., mm -hmm. because in Italian you put an H after a G before an I or an E to make the G hard. Um, in Germanic languages, excuse me, in German, you don't do that. Um, you just, the, the G remains hard even before an I or an E. So if this were German, it would be Giblins. However, if it were English, it would be 
sounding like gibbet, mm-hmm. uh, which is another word for gallows or a frame on which you hang someone, which is what happens to our protagonist in the last paragraph of the story. Mm-hmm. So the very first words, the gibbelins, is just full of all kinds of references that presage different issues in the story. And I would go so far as to say that this this use of multiplication of meaning, of relevant meaning, begins even with a title. Because the horde of the Ghibellines, you and I know because we read it first, means a a big collection of stuff, you know, that the Ghibellines have. But in fact, H-O-R-D-E is also what one could have written to hear the horde of the Ghibellines, mm-hmm. in which case um, it's the the huge number of these creatures that's really the issue. Mm-hmm. And I think to some extent that's relevant, too, because the story as a whole seems to be making, among other points, um, the notion that avarice is a force in human nature that cannot be denied, that no yep. matter how bad things get, there's always going to be avarice, which is to say there will always be avaricious people. And while the Gibbelins are avaricious for eating human beings, human beings are avaricious for the things that the Gibbelins hoard. So there is an H-O-R-D-E of Gibbelins in the world, whether there are Gibbelins in the world or not, because human beings are in fact avaricious and there's a whole lot of us so horde works two ways and i'd also say in that wonderful first sentence it has two meanings easily the gibbelins eat as is well known i love that you point out that (laughs) by whom um nothing less good than man (laughs) now there are two ways to read that sentence the gibbelins eat as is well known nothing less good than man eats or the Gibbelins eat, as is well known, nothing less good than is man. It turns out it's the second reading. Mm-hmm. But if you are not prepped to think cannibalism is on the way, you might begin with the first reading. And then you'd have to learn that things are not as we see, For ex- as we assume. For example, the second sentence says, their evil tower is joined to terra cognita, to the lands we know by a bridge. Well, the fact is that if you look at old maps, you will find the words terra incognita, Mm -hmm. unknown earth on them. But I, I have not studied extensively large collections of old maps, but I don't see terra cognita written on them. No. (laughs) I only see terra incognita. Um, or incognita. So uh, this story is just turning things upside down again and again. Um, At the end, I I, I don't think this is random. At the end, of course, the Ghibellines do manage to catch our protagonist. Um, And there, he's he's now, he's he's in their their basement. He's gathering up emeralds. Um, He's filled it with water part way and he it says he is easily filling a satchel of these emeralds he rose again to the surface and there were the ghibellines waist deep in the water with torches in their hands and without saying a word or even smiling 
they neatly hanged him on the outer wall. And the tale is one of those that have not a happy ending. Now, that image, they hanged him on the outer wall. I don't think that that is they hanged him from a parapet. They hanged him from a window. When you hang something on the outer wall, in my experience, which is not extensive in this regard, what I picture is um, what I encountered one day when I was in college. I had a, a basement apartment. I had to walk up the driveway toward the garage and then turned, a hairpin turned to my right to go down a set of stairs to get to my apartment. And one day, during what turned out to be hunting season, I came home from campus and walked up the driveway and confronting me on the garage was a deer that had clearly been killed by the owner of the house I roomed in. And what he had done, as you are supposed to do, he had staked the deer through the tendons on its rear legs. So there was a horizontal uh, stake separating the two legs. The deer was hanging head down and its throat was slit because it's important to drain the blood Mm -hmm. in the preparation of the venison. Now, that horizontal slit, that horizontal stake, was attached to a vertical stake, both, I believe, of iron, and hanging from a hook against the wall of the garage. When I read this, and I knew that the Ghibellines ate human beings, when it said they neatly hanged him on the outer wall, I just thought, they're just preparing him for eating. Yeah. And that also means, since they're going to cut his throat in order to get the most blood to drain, he's hanging upside down. Yeah. That's why, to the end of the story, this is a fairy tale that's upside down. It Mm -hmm. doesn't have a happy ending. The protagonist is upside down. It takes place foolishly leaving terra cognita. I mean, everything about this story is upside down. It appears to be one thing, and it turns out to be the other. In fact, our protagonist, you'll remember, knows that everyone who's tried to get at the horde of the Ghibellines has has died. They've never come back, which does make me wonder how anybody knows about it. But that's another story. It's a fairy tale. You know, things are just known. Um, So he decides he's going to not do whatever it is that anybody advises him to do. He does the opposite, kind of. Right, exactly. So some say swim across the river. Some say, you know, don't take the bridge. Some say swim across the river. Some say um, row across the river. He decides he's not going to do that at all. And he goes out and gets himself a dragon who can fly him across the river. Now, in terms of this use of opposition, he comes up to the dragon The dragon, you know, looks at him like he's going to, you know, get him. And uh, our our knight of the city looks at the dragon and says, you know what happens when a dragon meets a pure knight? And the dragon looks down and says, yeah, he doesn't want that to happen. So he gives in and agrees to be our protagonist's steed. Now, what 
you may not notice, I don't mean you particularly, Jesse, what a reader may not notice is that he promises him if he will do his bidding, he will live to drink maiden's blood again. <laughs> yes, and it's actually in rhyme, too. Then, if thou wouldest ever taste maiden's blood again, thou shalt be my trusty steed. And if not by this spear, there shall befall thee all the troubadours tell of the dooms thy breed. Perfect. Wonderful. How pure a knight is it who's willing to bargain maiden's blood <laughs> not to get himself a steed? So, so he's a lie. He's a pure knight who isn't a pure knight. He has a quest which is not spiritual, but entirely uh, crass. He, he, I mean, it's just, it's wonderful. It's just everything is upside down and, and right side up simultaneously. And in a topsy-turvy world, if you think you can get away with doing something, you're liable to wind up hanging upside down, and that is not a happy ending. Agreed. Um, uh, I, 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 I love how much work we need to do to figure out what Dunsany is saying. In every sentence that um, could be straightforward, he, he throws a little curve at us to make us do a little work. I, lo I love this description of what happens to all the people who try to steal from the Ghibellines. No more than examples of savory art, mere half-forgotten memories of a meal, and many perhaps no longer even that. <laughs> so the <laughs> they're examples right. of the savory art. Oh, oh, that's cooking. Okay, got it. And mere half forgotten memories of a meal oh yeah i remember him he was really good he was tasty right? well seasoned and then the last and many perhaps no longer even that oh they're uh they're what we now call excrement <laughs> that's all that's left of them right and yep. and then uh it isn't the it isn't the dragon who has the horde which is the traditional you know northern european way of of doing things, the dragon sits on its horde, and as is seen in the Hobbit and and uh, you know the Norse uh, Volsunga saga, right? The saga of the Volsungs. Yeah. Um, it's the dragon here is actually a little more reasonable. Sure, it's ravaging the land and and lusting after maiden's blood, but um, it's also you know thoughtful because oh yeah, I guess I should do what he says and yeah, he's turned into a steed so. Things are inverted. Instead of killing the dragon, he is the he is the one who's you know avaricious, and yet he also gives away. This is hilarious. He says, or it's the story says. I, it, we have to be careful because the narrator is doing a lot of of, of wonderful stuff in here too. Uh, so they all cheered that day when he mounted his dragon, as though he was already a conqueror. And what pleased them more than the good that they hoped he would do to the world was that he scattered gold as he rode away. For he would not need it, he said, if he found the Gibbelins' hoard, and he would not need it if he smoked on the Gibbelins' table. <laughs> All the people of the world are happy at this, except for the lenders, <laughs> who are worried that he might come back and pay all the debts that they make <laughs> their money from right um and i i think that the narrator narrator's voice is just wonderful it's not super common to notice it 
uh, I didn't notice it the first time, but in the first sentence uh, of, a, of a paragraph, there's just a tiny little hint here on the same page, page 64 of the version I'm looking at. It was on a saddle upon the dragon's back that Alderic afterwards sailed above the unpassable forest, even above the tops of those measureless trees. And then, comma, children of wonder. Oh, that's <laughs> us! <laughs> right? right? That's us, the reader. Oh, wow, he's, he's flying over unpassable forest, over measureless trees. Wow, that's big. Right? This is a huge, vast story in scope. It's world-girdling, gir- right? And yet it's only four pages long. It it, it has well, it, it, in it every set, myth, almost. It's set, after all, between two worlds on a bridge that goes between them. Uh, in, in terms of Norse mythology, it's reminiscent of the Rainbow Bridge connecting Asyard and uh, Midyard, yeah. Middle Earth, um, our, our realm. Um, but we know we're on our way to Niflheim because our guy, in fact, that is the, the land of darkness, uh, the cold land, because our guy, to get his goodies, dives down deep under ocean, the, the river that girdles the world, to uh, use his pickaxe, uh, not to climb a mountain, but to insert himself into a basement, which he then floods. Um uh, Everything, it, all of these myths are involved, and you're quite, quite uh, prescient, I think, in in leading toward our ultimate understanding of the story by looking at what the narrator is doing and talking to us, children of wonder. Uh, there's a passage uh, on the next page um, that I marked particularly asking myself, why is the narrator inserting himself here? Why does he have mm-hmm. to use I? He says, and on the day that I tell of, he galloped away from his home, scattering largesse of gold, as I have said, and passed through many kingdoms, the dragon snapping at maidens as he went, but being unable to eat them because of the bit in his mouth and earning no gentler reward than a spur thrust where he was softest. Um, Who is I? Why Why doesn't he just say... On the day our hero galloped from his home, you know, he did the following thing. Why is he saying I? Is he trying to to lend veracity as if he were an eyewitness to this? Well, if he's an eyewitness to this, what kind of a creature is he? He's, he's not a Ghibelline. Mm-hmm. He's not a human. Um, he's kind of not God. Um, but he is someone who has although I don't want to make him a monotheistic God, has an Olympian view mm-hmm. of what happens. And it is, after all, Homer who is the first reference, uh, explicit reference in the story, although Ghibellines is a reference to Italian, um, among other things, to Italian uh, ecclesiastic and political history. So Homer tells us about the Olympian gods, depends upon knowing the Olympian gods, and our guy seems to have the view of an Olympian god. So I kind of start to think, what message is he telling us? What? How does he construct the story? The story ends up with the man hanging upside down, right? Mm-hmm. He is a fool. He is the dead plaything of 
his own characteristics. Now, what are his characteristics? His characteristic is uh, thinking himself to be more clever than he is. Uh, that sets him aside, apart from other people. He is bold. That sets him apart from other people. But he's driven by avarice, which the story makes us understand puts him, in fact, with everybody else. So as I look through the story, particularly that passage you just read, Jesse, about everyone being happy would be happy except the money lenders. Mm -hmm. I think it underscores the notion that from our narrator's viewpoint, the guy who says I, everyone who is avaricious feels that his avarice is good. The Ghibellines are glad to be avaricious about, um, excuse me, everybody's, everybody's avarice, everybody else's avarice is, is good, right? The, the avarice that other people have get them to pay the money lender. The avarice that our guy has makes him a questing knight. The avarice that they can count on makes the Ghibellines able to eat. Everywhere you look, avarice is good mm -hmm. to everybody who looks at it, unless someone else's avarice takes away what they want, <laughs> as with the money lenders. So what this story is suggesting is this only, the only universally distributed human characteristic that is revealed in this story avarice is in fact not disparaged by human beings right. although it eminently leads to their demise it in fact is counted on by human beings and glorified because it may give them a living make them bold and make them heroic this is a story against human beings i think that i is an olympian god mm or something like an Olympian god laughing at us. Absolutely. And that, I think, sort of suggests why I would agree. As grim as the ending is, if I picture a guy hanging against the wall, staked out to let the blood run through his slit throat, um, it's a fun story. Mm -hmm. I want to I highlight what you just said with the avarice. This is... Uh, uh, a paragraph beginning on the first page, ending on the top of the second page, um, just in introducing Alderic. Alderic, Knight of the Order of the City and the Assault, capital A, hereditary guardian of the king's peace of mind. Wow. A man not unremembered among the makers of myth. Hmm, it's funny, I'd never heard of him before. Pondered so long upon the Ghibelin's horde by that by now he deemed it his. <laughs> Alas, that I should say, so perilous a venture undertaken at dead of night by a valorous man, that it, its motive was sheer avarice. Yet upon avarice only the Ghibellins relied, to keep their larders full, and once, in every hundred years, sent spies to the cities of men, to see how avarice did. And always the spies returned again to the tower, saying that all was well. <laughs> <laughs> right. If I may make a slight uh, slight correction, um, mm -hmm. I think it's a great paragraph, and that joke at the end is terrific. It's, it should be read, yet upon avarice only, the mm. Ghibellins ride. 
What did I say? I, I heard you say upon avarice only the Gibbons relied. And I think, in fact, everybody relies on avarice. But it was on avarice only that the Gibbons rely. Right, they just count. They, they don't need anything else. Yeah, it's to funny. Be able to they, they have want. all the they have all the gold and all the jewels and and they they don't use it for anything except for getting food. Right? They yep. lay lay trails of rubies in order that man should follow them to the horde. Um, yep. It's it's the perfect trap because men are always the same apparently. Yep. Our hero, whose name is, as you remind us, is Alderic, um, we're told that uh, he is not unremembered. <laughs> well, being not unremembered is not the same as being remembered. No. Because if he was never remembered to begin with, then he wouldn't ever have become unremembered. So then being not unremembered could simply mean that he has never been remembered. Um, which might be the case when one realizes that the name Alderic means the old ruler. He is, in a way, the knight of the order of the city and the assault, not perhaps the knight of the order of the city and the assault, but the knight of the order mm. of the city and the assault, the old ruler is the one who brought order because there is a principle that organizes everything. He is the knight of avarice. Mm -hmm. And the story hangs him. That's <laughs> true. Uh, and it all, I think it all goes back to that title. Uh, or not the title, the first sentence, right? And yeah. as is well known, nothing less good than man. How good is man? Well, he <laughs> tastes good. <laughs> well, How good is yeah. he? Ah, oh, that's debatable. But he sure tastes he good. Make, he makes a good goblin. <laughs> but there is always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep. Thank you.